wealth, all the kings of the earth bringing their wealth into Jerusalem, flowing into Jerusalem, just like God had promised in the Old Testament. Is it not? It's not working. So um, they had um, these great these great promises. They they, they were longing for this day, um, and yet now um, the king had come. So he was here. It had happened, uh, and he'd made these amazing shows of power, hadn't we? It's what we've read about in Mark up to now, and all those uh, stories uh, from, from uh, chapters 1 and 2 particularly, these amazing shows of power, um, demonstrating that he, he's the king, that he has total authority over every part of reality. But here's the problem. Where was this kingdom? Where was this thing they could point to and say, yes, the king has come? He hadn't defeated any Romans at all. True, he'd had some pretty big crowds who he'd healed and, uh, and taught, but on the whole, they'd just walked away at the end. And the leaders um, of uh, his people, uh, of God's people, they'd, they'd, they'd even rejected him and started uh, to plot to kill him. So things seemed to be going pretty badly. Sam? <clears throat> Are you going to ruin the whole thing, Sam? I like it. Good story. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Cool. So, um, things seem to be going pretty badly. Um, the king didn't seem to have done anything and brought his kingdom in. Um, and now, um, Jesus, we saw, didn't we, back in chapter 3, uh, Jesus called um, the 12 apostles to him to be with him um, so he could send them out um, to, to, to preach, um, to, to, to bring the good news of his kingdom to people. Um, so you'd think um, that um, as he gets them around him, that he'd he, he want to give them a bit of a, a half-time pep talk. He might say something like this. Uh, listen, guys, listen, the, the first half is not gone very well. We've not got many followers. Things aren't, aren't looking great. We're having a bit of a shocker. But if we just pull together, if we can just work a bit harder, if we can just, oh, just, just come together as a team, we can get this kingdom thing up and running. We can, we can smash the Romans together. We can, we can make our mark. We can, we can do it. We can make this kingdom massive. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that at all. In fact, Jesus does the opposite. He tells them these parables instead. And here's what they say. Jesus' kingdom looks weak and foolish now. Jesus' kingdom looks weak and foolish now, because it does. And so that's the first thing to see today. Uh, Jesus' kingdom looks weak and foolish now. Just look at that first parable. Because there's really a big shock here. Um, verse 26, um, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Um, and we kind of think, well, what's he going to say that the kingdom of God's like? 
What's he going to say? Maybe he's going to say it's like a huge snow-capped mountain glinting uh, in the sun that's sort of towering over everything else. Maybe he's going to say that. Or we think maybe he'll say um, it's like an enormous building, the most beautiful building made of, of costly jewels and, uh, and stones with enormous windows reaching up that, that kind of uh, uh, display God's power to the world. Maybe it'll be that. Um, or, or an ocean um, full of every kind of, um, kind, kind of fish and sea thing, glinting in the sun, beautiful, uh, bigger than you can even imagine. Or like a river flowing uh, powerfully, uh, ferociously towards the sea that nothing can stand in the way of. Um, or a conquering army with their, with their shields and their, their strength, people in every division uh, bent on uh, bringing victory. Nothing can stand against it. That's the kind of thing we think he's going to say. But he doesn't. What does he say? This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. I mean, what could be more dull than scattering seed on the ground? Jesus says, God's kingdom is like a man scattering seed on the ground. That's what the kingdom of God is like? Doesn't sound like much of a kingdom to me. There's no smashing of armies. There's no glory and signs and wonders. There's no soldiers coming in and, 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 and killing people and setting up this beautiful kingdom. There's no Israel ruling over the nations. It's like a man scattering seed on the ground. But you see, that's the surprising thing about Jesus' kingdom. It doesn't come in with a bang. It's not like uh, the opening ceremony of an Olympic Games when, it, when a country gets all of its finery and everything it can throw in it to show the world its beauty. It's not like that. God's kingdom looks like a man scattering seed on the ground. See, the kingdom of God looks like this. Men and women just patiently getting on, sowing seed, scattering it wherever and to whoever, telling people about the king. That's what God's kingdom looks like. It doesn't look great now. Often, it doesn't feel great now. And it's not something that you can plan and control either. Just look at that in verse 27. Um, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. So we love things, don't we, where we can uh, know that a certain number of hours of work will get us certain results. Um, so um, if I spend this amount of time on my homework, well then um, I'm sort of pretty much guaranteed I'm going to get this grade. If I put in enough hours with my friends, then I'll be accepted into the gang. Um, if I work this number of hours, then I can get this amount of money. Um, or if I put the, the time and energy into my, my career or my family or whatever, um, then this will be the result. Because when it's like that, we, we can control it, can't we? We, we can plan it. But in Jesus' parable, the farmer doesn't even know how it all works. It's not actually up to him at all. He, he sows the seed, but then what does he do? Well, he, he just has to wait to see what the results will be. He can't plan it, and he can't control it. And you see, it's the same with Jesus' kingdom too. We can't plan Jesus' kingdom. We can't control the results. We just sow seeds. We tell people the good news. But then we just have to wait and see what the results will be. Yeah, we can pray. 
but we're not in control. Jesus' kingdom isn't something where if you use uh, the right tactics or if you plan well or if you come up with a good strategy, then success is guaranteed. It's mysterious. You just sow the seed and you wait. And that's kind of disconcerting for us, isn't it? I think that's why you get so many books about um, church planting and stuff where people kind of say, oh, if you do this and you do that and you come up with this kind of system, then you'll have success because we want something that we can plan, that we can uh, control. We'd much rather have a a business plan or a, a plan for our family or for our career and then be able to stick to it. See, Jesus's kingdom just seems very unpredictable, doesn't it? And then look on to the, to the second parable, because uh, Jesus uh, says the, the kingdom of God isn't just like a seed, it's like the smallest of all seeds. Uh, verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God's like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Now, strictly speaking, uh, mustard seeds aren't, um, any horticulturalist will tell you mustard seeds aren't, the smallest seeds in the ground, I'm told. Um, they're, they're small, but they're not the smallest. But it seems in Jesus' day, um, they were famous for being um, incredibly small seeds, seeds you could, you could hardly even see. So everybody, when you talk about something small, you'd say, yeah, it's, oh, it's like a mustard seed, like a mustard seed. It was something that which everybody knew was tiny. So what Jesus is saying here is this. His kingdom looks like the tiniest most insignificant thing now. It looks weak and small. It looks like it could never do anything, just like a mustard seed. See, Jesus' kingdom consists of a weak message about a weak king who was crucified and died in humiliation and shame. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing. And he says, uh, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. See, the message about Jesus, this seed, it looks ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous and pointless. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like now. That's what life looks like now as part of the kingdom. It looks stupid. Life following Jesus, being about this kingdom, it looks like a waste of time. So at school when, when, or, or at work or, or whenever, when people see you giving your lives for the kingdom, they'll say or they might think, why bother with that? Why on earth would you waste your life telling people a stupid message about a, a dead king who hasn't been around for 2,000 years? Why would you give your life to that, people will think. Maybe we'll think that too. People have, people have said that to me, my, my, my auntie um, and uh, my dad even. Um, you could have done any number of things with your life, they say. You could have, you could have really made a difference. Um, you had so many opportunities, uh, you could have done, done, done anything. Um, you could have done something that counts. You could have uh, 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 sung or, or, or written songs or, or done whatever. You could have made a name for yourself. You could have done something that really made a difference to the world. Why would you give up all those things to tell people about a king who died 2,000 years ago? What effect is that going to have? What use is it going to be? That just seems crazy. And you see, maybe, maybe they're right. 
surely it'd be better, wouldn't it, to spend your life on, on things that count, things that actually add up to something. Surely it'd be better to spend your life on, on solid things, on things that you can, can invest in and control and plan and, and that you can point to and you can say, yes, I did that. Wouldn't it be better to do that? Well, here's the second surprise in Jesus' parables here. Jesus says his kingdom will be the kingdom to end all kingdoms. Because look what Jesus says. At first he tells us that this weak little seed is actually world-beatingly powerful. Just look uh, in um, uh, verses 20 to 9. This seed grows by itself. All by itself, the soil produces corn, says Jesus. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. See, it's great, isn't it? This seed, this seed that looks so foolish and ridiculous, is powerful. It might look like nothing, but the farmer, he just sows it and it grows by itself. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The whole thing is done by that word, by that seed. Whether the farmer goes to bed, whether he gets up in the morning, whether he has cornflakes, whether he has Rice Krispies, whatever he does, it makes no difference because it's not up to him. This seed that he plants, it has life in itself. It has power in itself. And so when it's sown in good soil, it sprouts and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And Jesus is saying to us, look guys, it's the same with the news about me, with the message about me. It might sound like a ridiculous message about a defeated king, but actually this message has the power in itself to transform lives, families, workplaces, towns, nations even, all by itself. We just sow it. We just tell people the good news and the word itself does the rest. It's glorious. But then, one day, the harvest will come. That's what Jesus tells us. So, that's the second thing to do. Look in verse uh, 29. The harvest will come. As soon as the grain is ripe, says Jesus, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. See, this time won't go on forever. Now Jesus' kingdom uh, is about scattering seed. It's about telling people this message. But that's not going to go on forever. One day, this time, will end. One day, Jesus the King, who died in humiliation and shame, one day he will return to bring in his harvest. To bring judgment on those who've rejected him, who've rejected this word, who've rejected this message and salvation for those who've trusted in him. See, one day, Jesus' kingdom will be seen for what it really is. 
Now, Jesus' kingdom is hidden. You can't see it, you can't point to it and say, oh yeah, there it is. Now the word is growing all over the world, um, almost unseen. But one day, everybody, every single soul who has ever lived will see the work that the message about Jesus has done throughout the world and the kingdom of God will be revealed to everyone. And what will it be like? Well, just look at the big surprise in the second uh, parable. It's going to be the kingdom to end all kingdoms. It's going to tower over all kingdoms. Just look at that in verse 32. What started out as a tiny mustard seed, a weak message about a shamed and crucified king, will be the greatest kingdom ever. In fact, it'll be the, it'll be the only kingdom, Jesus says. Yet when planted, he says, this seed, this mustard seed, grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Just a massive shock, isn't it? This, this tiny seed, uh, this, this little one, which was the smallest thing that you could see, you could hardly see it. It looked like it could never do anything. It's going to become the biggest plant in the garden. It, the, the original says it'll shoot forth branches. It's a great image, isn't it? It's just a massive turnaround. It's like um, York City winning the premiership next season. You just think this can't happen. It just can't happen. The tiniest, most inconsequential thing, uh, the laughing stock of, of everybody, becomes the largest, most glorious thing on earth. You see, now, Jesus' kingdom, it does look ridiculous. It looks ridiculous to give your life to Jesus' kingdom, to this thing about a, a message, about a, a, a weak, dead king. It's, it's a figure of fun to most people, isn't it? Maybe it is to you. But here's the bite. One day, brothers and sisters, when Jesus returns, his kingdom will rule over everything. And Jesus says this, this wonderful thing. The birds of the air will nest in its shade. What does he mean by that? The birds of the air will nest in its shade. Is it just a nice little sort of image, a nice little picture that he's painting? Well, it is a nice picture, but he's quoting here from a prophecy um, given to the prophet Ezekiel. Um, while the people of God in, in the Old Testament were, were in exile um, in Babylon. Just turn to it with me. Um, Ezekiel uh, chapter 17. Uh, it's page 844. Um, and verse... 22, verses 22 to 24. So this is what Jesus is quoting. Uh, page 844, if you've not got that. Uh, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoot and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I'll plant it. It'll produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
and I will do it. It's just a great picture, isn't it? This, this kingdom, this huge thing, and, and, and all of the birds of every kind um, sheltering in the shade of its branches. And the thing is, uh, we know from earlier in the chapter here in Ezekiel that um, the, uh, uh, the shoot um, that he takes from the top of the cedar and the tender sprig, that that's God's king. We know that from, from, from earlier on. You can look at it later, make sure that I'm right, but we do. I'm not going to go into it because it'll take too long. But we know that that's God's king. So God's saying here, one day he's going to take his king and he's going to plant him in Israel. And one day, uh, this, the kingdom of his king will grow to be an enormous kingdom, a splendid cedar, he says, and it's going to fill the earth. It'll, it'll uh, shoot forth uh, branches so that birds of every kind will find shelter in the shade of its branches. So God's saying here, one day, his king's kingdom will be the kind of kingdom where birds of every kind can shelter in its branches, where people from every nation can come and find refuge, where they can come and flee for salvation from their sin, salvation from God's judgment, shelter from God's judgment. It'll be the kingdom to end all kingdoms. And so Jesus is saying here in, in Mark that that is what's going to happen to his kingdom. For now, it looks weak and foolish. It looks like scattering seed aimlessly. But one day, it'll be the kingdom to end all kingdoms. And people from every nation will be there. People from every nation will be part of this kingdom, coming to find refuge in its branches. Okay, so that's what Jesus says. But so what? Why did Jesus tell the crowds this parable? How did he want them to respond? And what does he have to say to us? Well, the first thing, I think, it's a message um, for the crowds looking in. And so for those people, who, they, they turned up to hear, uh, to hear Jesus, um, uh, uh, but they hadn't yet submitted to Jesus' rule. They hadn't seen that Jesus was king. Um, and so they were just coming along um, to listen, to, to find out um, a little bit more. And if that's you today, well, this is a message for you. And the message is this. Why would you give your lives to anything other than this kingdom? Come and find refuge in its branches. You see, all the other things that you invest in now, all those things, uh, they look great, don't they? They look like they promise so much. They're, they're real, they're tangible. The, the bank account, the family the, the career, the, the house, the garden, the group of friends, the perfect life. Those things look like they're worth investing in, look like they're worth giving everything for. But here's the thing. They never really deliver, do they? They always disappoint. They leave you frustrated and wanting more. Why is that? Why do they never deliver? Why, when they promise so much, can they never give what they promise? Well, because they were never meant to be the things to build your life on. God is. And all those other things, they're God replacements. They fade. They spoil. They don't work. And they won't last, will they? They might look great now. They might look beautiful. But all of them will fade away. Jesus says, a day is coming 
when all of them will be swept away and the only thing that will be left will be his kingdom. So why would you invest in anything else? See, Jesus is inviting you to, to, to come and find refuge in his kingdom. He's, he's saying, come and shelter in the shade of my branches. Come and hear this message about me, this beautiful message about me, my death, my resurrection. Come and hear it. Find salvation from your sins. Find shelter from God's wrath. Find something solid to build your life on, this kingdom which will have no end. Come back to me, he's saying, where you belong. But it's not just a parable for the crowds. It's a parable for the disciples too, for those who already started on the road of following Jesus. And Jesus told them and us this parable, and I think for, for four reasons. Um, and the first um, is just this, just simply to thrill us. He tells us this parable to thrill us. He's telling us this parable because he wants to, to excite us. He's wanting to, 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 to take our breath away as we, as we see this kingdom. Yeah, we look at our lives and we think it's nothing. It doesn't add up to much. Where are we going? And yet he wants to, us to lift our eyes and see, this is my kingdom. This is how glorious I am. Yes, it's a message about a, um, a weak and crucified king, but it is a glorious message. And it's going to result in this beautiful, huge, towering kingdom. He wants us to, uh, our hearts to beat faster for him and for his kingdom and to long for that day when he comes back to bring in the fullness of his kingdom. He tells us it to thrill us. Second, I think he tells us it um, to relieve us, um, to bring us relief. See, the great news about this parable, uh, that this parable brings, is that Jesus' kingdom isn't up to us, is it? It's just clear. It's not up to us. Just like the farmer, as, as, as uh, Ruth said uh, on Wednesday when we were looking at it, we can sow and then sleep. Sow and then sleep. It's going to be my little catchphrase. If you say it to me, sow and then sleep. It's just great news, isn't it? It's not up to us. We sow the kingdom. We spend ourselves sowing, telling people the good news about Jesus. But then we can go to sleep. We can trust God for the results. So many Christians are, are fraught. So many Christians are running around thinking, oh, well, I've got to try and make it happen. Focused on results. Uh, and when it doesn't go well, when church isn't going well, when we're not seeing the growth we'd love to see, when people aren't being saved like we'd love to see them saved, we get worried. We start thinking, what's going wrong? What am I doing wrong? And we panic. We try and give more hours to it. Jesus says, no. Spend yourselves sowing. Give yourselves to telling people this good news, but then go to sleep. Trust me, this is God's work. This message that we sow, that we tell people, has power in itself. Trust me, Jesus is saying. Enjoy this finished work. And the Tamsins are just a great example of that, isn't she? Uh, people um, gave themselves to the telling of the gospel, telling them the good news about Jesus. But then it reached a point where didn't seem to be going anywhere um, and away she went um, for a year or so and people had little bits of contact but not very much contact and then one day she called up and said I want to meet I want to talk about baptism and all that time God's word God's word had been doing its powerful work in her 
people, you guys, sowed the seed. But the word did the rest. The good news did the rest. It's just great. You see, this word is powerful. And that's the the next thing to see. Um, Jesus tells us this parable to spur us on to scatter seed. You see, this message really is powerful. It might sound foolish and weak. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. But then he goes on. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In Romans, he says, um, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. And he tells the Christians in Coloss- uh, Colossae that all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. The gospel is powerful. It's growing. It is bearing fruit. It's dynamite. So keep sowing it to anybody, wherever, wherever you are. Keep on sowing it. Have confidence that this word that you preach, this word that you tell people, and it might sound stupid, but it's wonderful because it transforms lives. It works even while we sleep. So keep telling people. But finally, he tells us this parable to entice us. So he tells us it to thrill us, uh, to relieve us, to spur us on, but also to entice us. Because it would be so easy, it is so easy for us, and it happens such a lot, doesn't it, as Christians, that we get distracted from Jesus' kingdom. So uh, we, we, we start to think, well, well, well those things that, that you can touch and that you can see and that you, you can point to, well, they're the things to be investing in. They're the things to be giving our lives to, our careers, our friendship groups, our exam grades, our, our homes, our businesses, whatever. But Jesus is saying to us today, come on board with my kingdom because my kingdom is the one which is going to have the day. My kingdom is the only one really worth investing in. Everything else will fade away. You see, sowing seed, spreading the good news of the kingdom, that's what we're here for. It's the only thing to be doing now. All of our lives, our, our careers, our businesses, um, our, uh, our families, um, uh, our homes, everything are to be shaped around this glorious kingdom, this glorious task we have of sowing seed, of getting the good news to people. Because that's the only thing that lasts. So we're to be sowing it to each other. Sowing it to our kids, sowing it to our family, sowing it in the playground, sowing it in the classroom, sowing it to our neighbours, sowing it to our colleagues, sowing it all over to everybody. It does look rubbish now. It does look like a dull, wasted life. It will mean opposition. It will mean people laughing at you in the playground. It will mean your friends cooling off towards you. It'll mean joy and excitement as we see the word growing in people, as we see people grasping the gospel and being saved, as as it grows in our own hearts and among us. But it will also mean disappointment, it'll mean heartache, it'll mean pain, it'll mean ridicule. But doesn't that sound like someone else? Doesn't that sound a bit familiar? 
You see, being part of this kingdom will mean looking a little bit like the king that we're telling people about. Because he was despised, wasn't he? He was rejected. He was homeless. He, he, he had nowhere to call his own. He said he, he had nowhere to, to lay his head. He was abandoned by his friends. He was misunderstood by his family. He had no career to speak of. And he died with very little to show for his years of ministry. So why did Jesus carry on? Why did he go through all that? Well, the writer to the Hebrews tells us this. He went through it all for the joy set before him. He was prepared to go through suffering and smallness and misunderstanding now for the joy of that final day when people from every nation will be gathered around his throne, bought by his death. Jesus fixed his eyes on his resurrection glory with his people. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do today through, this, uh, through these parables. That's what he was calling his disciples to do. That's what he's calling us to do, to fix our eyes on glory. He's calling us to have our hearts and our minds set on that day when Jesus will return, when his kingdom will tower over all the nations, when everybody will see that the crucified king is the triumphant Lord of all the earth. We're going to have our hearts fixed on glory. And then, get on sowing today. Because when our hearts are full of that kingdom, when we're gripped to the core by this beautiful message about a crucified and risen saviour, well, what else would we want to do? Let's sing uh, our King.